And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. week of our series, Holy Habits. And uh, there's this great book out there by Charles Duhigg, and it's talking about habits. And I don't know if you guys realize this, it takes 21 days to break a bad habit. And, and so if you have a bad habit, chewing, finger, chewing your fingernails, which I do, uh, snacking late at night, which I do, putting sugar in your coffee, which I do. It takes 21 days to cut those things out of your life. And you can see how, how tough it is. But here's the thing. There are certain keystone habits, these habits that we put in our life, and they change everything. They are complete game changers. So my, my, my background is, is in sports and, and, and athletics. And we used to always talk about this when I was playing basketball and stuff, that we wanted the offense, everything to be so much of a secondhand nature that it just came naturally to you. You didn't have to think about it. And so when we'd run our offense, we knew where everybody on the court was going to be because we were running our set offense. So, of course, on defense, you're trying to take people out of their natural flow and get them to go to places they wouldn't naturally be. So then they're starting to think. And if you make them think in basketball, they've lost. I know, you're like, aren't you supposed to think more? I... So when I watch sports and I hear coaches holler out their players, what were you thinking? And I'm like, well, the problem is they are thinking. It should just be a natural habit. So natural it comes to us. So when we talk about holy habits, they should become so natural to us that that's exactly what we do. And so over the course of the next five weeks as we lean in, or next four weeks as we lean into holy habits and what this looks like for us, today we talk about the holy habit of worship slash celebration. And so the Greek word for worship is proskuneo. And you're probably like, I, I don't care what that means, what that, what that word is, which is not a big deal. But it's actually two words brought together, which means to lean in and kiss. I want you, I want you to think back to, to when you were a teenager and, and, and you were dating and you were just hitting the dating scene, and you haven't yet kissed, and you are looking forward to it, and you're planning it out, this is what my first kiss is going to be like. The anticipation's killing you, right? And you're probably thinking, why are we talking about kissing at church? It does say in the Bible, greet one another with a holy kiss. We're not going to do that. That would be weird. But you understand what anticipation is all about. How about another anticipation? Remember when you were a kid, and Christmas was getting closer and closer and closer? And the anticipation was killing you. You're like, I just can't wait. And then, like at my house, presents would start to mysteriously 
arrive underneath the Christmas tree. I'd go to school, I'd come home, there'd be more gifts underneath there. So I'd start looking at the gifts, and I'm like, I just couldn't wait to see what was in those gifts. And one Christmas, my temptation overwhelmed me, and I accidentally unwrapped a corner of my gift. So I knew what I was getting. My mom was ticked. My dad says, I'm not rewrapping that. You're just going to live with the fact that you're not going to be surprised on Christmas morning. You know you're getting matchbox cars from your brother. It's your bad. And you know, at Christmas time, when everybody else is opening their gifts, like, oh, look what I got! I'm like, I've got matchbox cars. Yay. There's something about the holy anticipation of entering into worship before God. There's something so majestic about it. You just, you can't wait, and you're just counting down the moments to worship and be with God. When we talk about these habits and the habit of worship, it becomes so second nature to us that we can't wait to spend time with God. And it talked about that there in the video that every aspect of our being is a part of our worship. And I, and I wish that I, I understood this when I was younger, but even going to high school is an element of worship. And it's not worshiping the, the sports figures that are at your school or the highest efforts or the cheerleaders or anything like that. It's about how are you carrying God with you. And once we, we get that, we start to understand that, we're like, man, every part of my life is about worship. And so when we come home and we realize that our family and serving our family, that is a spiritual act of worship. That's what God calls us. He says, man, there's nothing more beautiful than a family that worships together at church. And you, you start to, to bring in those, those rhythms in your life. And you realize that, man, every seven days I gather to worship at church. And God starts to create change in my life. And we develop those rhythms. Our life is made up of a series of rhythms. And what rhythms are we developing? Because those rhythms are life-changing. I don't know if you guys uh, watch college basketball the way I used to watch college basketball. I, I used to before this year. This year was different. I'm, I'm not sure why it was so whack, but it, it was. But on the Thursday of March Madness, I took the day off, and I set up, and you, it's so much cooler now than it was back in the day. Back in the day, I had to skip class and go to the library, and I could only watch one basketball game, whatever basketball game was on. But now, this is so awesome, guys. I can turn on my TV, I can actually come in and hook up another monitor so I have three screens going in my office, and I can watch, watch three basketball games simultaneously, just missing one. It was, it was a glorious thing. But you'd watch these teams, and this, what notoriously will happen is a team will be getting beat bad early in the game, and then suddenly they will catch fire, and you're like, whoa, they're back in this game. Why? Because somebody got on fire, somebody caught their shooter's rhythm. And so think about that in a spiritual standpoint. When you catch your rhythm with God, when you catch that natural rhythm where everything seems to flow, and it seems like life goes so much easier that way. William Temple said this, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will for the purpose of God. See, everything we do is about God. 
And so it's all about my vertical relationship. How's my relationship going with God? Because when my relationship with God is right, all these relationships will, will figure themselves out. Now, I'm not saying that I don't uh, forget about my, my horizontal relationships, but I know that a lot of times my horizontal relationships aren't going well. It's because my relationship with God, my Father, isn't going well. And that sense of worship. So jumping into the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, Starting at verse 12, it says, Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So how did the ark of God become, come to Obed-Edom's house? They were transporting the ark of the covenant, and they were doing it by cart. And they, you aren't supposed to use oxes and carts to transport the ark of the covenant. You were supposed to use priests, four priests, two in front, two in back. They would carry these long poles that went through it. And here was the other thing. No one could touch the ark. No one. Well, it says, as the ark is being haphazardly carried on the ox cart, it's going over rock, bumpy roads, because they didn't have asphalt by the, back then, they didn't have cement back then. They just had these bumpy trails. The ark is being bounced all over the place. And so a, a man saw that the ark was getting ready to fall, and he reached out and touched it, and he was killed instantly. I remember that story as a kid. I'm like, oh my goodness. What's going on here? Here's what I want you to know. In the Old Testament, whenever David sinned, King David, whenever King David went against the will of God, other people died. It's a leadership principle. Men, as, as heads of your household, whenever you sin, your family carries the brunt of it. It's, just a, it's a straight up leadership principle. When you're a leader and you go against the will of God, other people suffer. And so they, they left the ark here. They put it in the threshing floor at Obed-Edom's house. And his crops were just amazing. Everyone's like, man, Obed-Edom, his, his crops are great. His sheep are doing great. His goats are doing great. Everything at his house is doing great. God is blessing him. Word gets to David, and David goes, yes, I think it's about time that we go and retrieve the ark of the covenant. This time we'll do it right. We're going to bring it back to the tabernacle. We're going to bring it in here, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to give the greatest celebration ever. So following along, so David went down and brought up the ark of God out of the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, underwear by the way, danced before the Lord with all of his might. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of trumpets as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David. Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in place inside the tent that David had pitched. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person, the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, 
how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls and his servants as a vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I want you to put a bookmark in that last part. We're going to come back to it. But I want to talk about David's celebration of worship. You see, when we go to worship God, first of all, it's got to be a priority of worship. It's got to be the first and foremost thing in our mind. And when you look at David, he didn't just plan, hey, we're going to go down, we're going to grab the ark, we're going to bring it back. He had a plan because you're not just going to be able to sacrifice all these animals unless you plan it out ahead of time. So he had a plan. He, he made it a priority. This is what we're going to do. In verses 14 and 15, it says, David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord with all of his might. He, he was excited about it. That was his first and foremost thought. I can't wait to celebrate what God is doing. He brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. David was excited. Why was he excited? Well, one, that was kind of in David's nature. It was in his wheelhouse. He was an excitable guy. But two, he had wanted for these last few years to bring the ark before God and before the people. You see, back in the Jewish traditions back then, once a year, they would make their way to the tabernacle, where at that time it was the tabernacle. They hadn't yet built the temple, but they would make their way there, and that's where they would make their sacrifices. That was where they would come before God, and the high priest, for one year, would absolve their sins. Anyway, I want to tell you, anyway, here's something really cool. Free gift for the day. So they would bring the high priest, they would bring their lamb, a lamb that was, that was a year old, but when they first got that lamb, it was eight days old. They kept it in their house. They made sure that, that lamb did not get cut. They made sure that lamb did not break a bone. They made sure when they brought that lamb to the altar, it was perfect. Now, how many of us have ever had a family pet? So we... We've had two cats since Terry and I have been married. The first one died five years ago from cancer, and um, I was the one who took it to the vet. The vet said, hey, your, your cat has cancer. You need to put it down. So I paid the money. I said, but I can't put it down right now. I've got to go home. The family said goodbye to it and everything. So I called Terry on the phone. I said, hey, here's the report. I paid for it ahead of time. We've got to put the cat down tonight. And she goes, yes, you need to do that. Why? You're the one who wanted the cat in the first place. We brought it home. Boy said goodbye. They cried. I took the cat up to the vet, sat in the room, held the paw as they gave it a shot, and as the cat died. I go home. We mark out a spot, which is now covered by a deck that Kenneth and April have built in the backyard, and that lies Wesley. <laughs> they probably even erased the cross that we drew on the fence back there. I'm not sure. Oh, sorry, there's April. I thought you were gone. Don't, don't feel bad or anything, April. I mean, you only built a deck on our, on our cemetery. 
our oldest son, Jack, um, had really become attached to, to Wesley. And, and Wesley was the type of those cats, only like five people liked Wesley. She was, he was not a nice cat. He would put his ears back when he got ready to bite you, and he had these bald spots right here. It really looked like he had horns. <laughs> Jack cried that night, and he cried so much. And it, toward the end of the evening, he goes, Dad, I've cried so much, I have no more tears left. Wesley was not a sacrifice before God. It was our family pet. The Israelites, they brought that lamb into their house every year. Kids became attached to it. They fed that lamb scraps from the table. They played with the lamb. They, they petted the wool of the lamb. They loved the lamb. Can you imagine on the Day of Atonement every year, the cries that went out from a nation as kids had to put their pet down? Imagine how God, how God cried when he had to allow Jesus to be sacrificed, the Lamb of God. The high priest would then take blood from the Lamb and he would sprinkle it on the altar. And as he would sprinkle it, he would pray over each family, pray for the absolution of their sin. And then, here's the, here's, here's the cool thing. They also had a goat. You guys ever heard the term scapegoat? It actually comes from the Bible. The high priest would then lay his hands on the goat and would pray over the goat and then would impart all the sins of the nation onto that goat. And then they would send the goat out into the wilderness to die. It was the scapegoat. See, when Jesus died outside the city gates, not only was he the Lamb of God, but he was also our scapegoat. When we worship God, we're worshiping someone who has absolved us of so much. We realize that worship, even though it might be an external thing, and, and, and people worship and people display uh, their joy for God in different ways. Even though worship may at times be an external thing, it always starts with an internal relationship. What's going on inside of me and what I'm wrestling with inside of me comes out. Not only was worship a priority for David, but it was a preparation as well. I, I don't know how many bulls and calves were sacrificed that day, but it said every time they took six strides, they'd make a sacrifice. It couldn't have been cheap. David bought all of this, paid out of his own pocket to buy these animals, to sacrifice them before God. The purpose of worship isn't primarily to receive blessings from the Lord, but to make offerings to God. Sometimes we get so confused, we think... We, we pray these prayers, and prayer is a part of our worship. We pray these prayers, and these prayers are, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me. But we never say, God, make me an offering. Here's my life. Make it an offering for you. The Apostle Paul says, my life is like a drink offering, and I'm already being poured out. How many of us would say that we would be poured out for God? 
That we would just allow our lives to be poured out. Instead of saying, Lord, bless me, say, Lord, make me a blessing. Instead of, what can I get from God? Saying, God, you've done so much. What can I give back to you? How can I pour this into you? King Solomon learned it from King David in 1 Kings 8.5. They just got done building this $83 billion temple. And that's not even including labor. That was just the price to build the temple. And so Solomon starts to make sacrifices. They are now moving the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle and bringing it into the temple. King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the Ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle they could not be recorded or counted. It's so easy to keep score, isn't it? But God says, you know, I don't want you to record your offering. I want you to do it joyfully. I don't want you to record what worship looks like. And I don't want you to say, hey, it's all about me when it's all about God. Back in the late 90s, there was a worship song that came out that said, more of you and less of me. And it's really countercultural because so many times we're saying, hey, it's more about me and less about God. You watch professional sports athletes play, and when they score a touchdown, they point at the name on the back of their jersey. And I'm like, dude, that's not what it's about. It's about the team. If anything, point at the front of your jersey and say, hey, this is a team effort. This is a team effort. John Wooden said that when you score a basket, there were 10 hands involved, 10 hands involved in you scoring a basket. He says, so when you score, point at the person who passed you the ball. And when someone points at you for passing the ball, you point at the person who passed you the ball. Let them know that we didn't get there by ourselves. And worship, it's not about what can I get out of God, but it's what can I put back into God. I love to listen to worship music when I go out and run. Preferably, if I want to have a good run day and a good run meaning a, an eight-minute mile, I need to listen to worship music that's 100 beats per minute. Lately, my worship music has been about, I don't know, 80, 76 beats per minute, which means my, my, uh, my mile splits are closer to 945 than they should be. But I go to Planet Fitness, and, and when it's, and it's too cold to run outside, and I'll be sitting there, and I'll have my hands in the air as I'm running down there. And everybody's thinking, oh, he's imagining running a race. Actually, I'm not. I'm, I'm worshiping God. Have I ever told you the story of what happened to me at Planet Fitness? So I'm, I'm hands raised in the air, and uh, I, had, I forgot to take my, I have, a, I have this fanny belt, not like a 1980s fanny belt, a runner's fanny belt. It's very cool, and it flashes. It is so awesome. Chad, I still got to show you the fat flashing fanny belt. It is amazing. And so uh, I've been telling Chad Scantlin about it for three years now. But I didn't have that with me, so I stuck it in my pocket, my running shorts, and then my cell phone dropped out of my pocket and somehow landed right on the treadmill and came backwards. As my foot came forward, I kicked the phone. It went flying and hit the, uh, the mirror in front of me. And I'm like, oh, this is so bad. And this lady gives me a glare thinking that I was throwing something at her. I'm like, it's a mistake. I'm sorry. But I was completely lost in what God was doing. See, when I, when I run, I, I, I pray. I just allow God to pour over me. 
Sometimes I listen to audible.com. I listen to Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill and just got into the moment where God is speaking to us and what God is wanting to do with us. And it's when I come here to the church and be able to be a part of the worship and what God is doing and how God is using gifted people to bring us in the presence of God. There's a preparation as well. There's a preparation. I get here a little bit early in the morning so that I can walk around the sanctuary and pray that people experience the presence of God. Because I, I, I want us to be prepared for what God is doing. And let me come back to what I talked about earlier. There's an anticipation in worship where you just anticipate God is going to do something. Worship for any other purpose other than God's glory is not true worship. See, King David had been told how Obed-Edom's house had been blessed. It had been easy for David to go, man, I want that blessing for myself, so go out and grab it. But that wasn't what he was wanting. He wanted the entire nation of Israel to experience the glory of God, the presence of God. He wanted to, to bring it back in to the city of David so when people came, they could say, wow, God is here. God has shown up. There was an anticipation and I'm sure that David was counting down the moments and the days, and when he got there, he planned it out. This is what's going to happen. And then, I think David got a little bit spontaneous. I mean, why else would he dance around in his BVDs? I mean, he could have taken shorts, right? But he got so blessed by God that he took out his outer garment because it was containing what he wanted to do and the way that he wanted to worship God and the way he wanted to throw himself open before God. And he said, man, I, I'm going to be undignified and I don't care because I just want to worship God. I don't think he just woke up that morning and said, hey, today's the day. The anticipation had overwhelmed him. And he couldn't wait anymore. But you know, not everybody shared with his anticipation. There's Michael. We, we could look at Michael when she looked down and said, man, I can't believe he's doing that in front of those slave girls. And then she chewed him out when he comes back in. But you know what? There's a backstory to that. It, it's easy to look at Scripture and say, oh, Michael, you, you, you dim-witted fool. What are you doing? But here's the backstory. When Michael was a teenager, she absolutely loved David. I mean, so much so. And when David killed Goliath, Saul said, I promise you my daughter. And Michael goes, me, 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 I want to do this. I'll marry him. And so Saul gives Michael to marry him, but she couldn't, he didn't just give him to her. He had to buy rights. Here's the crazy part, okay? He said, I will sell you my daughter, Michael. I will give you the birthright. Because back in those days, you would buy the, the privilege to marry someone for 100 Philistine foreskins. If you don't know what foreskins are, that's not my job to tell you about that. <laughs> but the Philistines weren't going to give them up without a fight. They're like, hey, what? No way. So I'm pretty sure David probably had to kill 100 Philistines and create the uh, circumcision and bring the results back to Saul. Well, that just infuriated Saul. And Saul's like, man, who's this David think he is? Killing these Philistines. That's my job. And then they started chanting, David has killed his, 
or Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands, and Saul is becoming more and more outraged. And the more and more outraged that Saul came, the more and more in love that Michael became of David. In fact, Saul tried to kill David numerous times. Hey, free advice for you guys. If somebody is trying to throw a spirit, you quit going over to their house for supper. But David kept showing up. I don't know if that's, that, if that's courage or stupidity or I don't know. But he kept showing up and Saul kept trying to kill him. And so one night, Michael helped him escape and, and the guards came up to arrest David to bring him to Saul. And she goes, oh, he's not feeling very good. He's laying in bed. He's, he's, he's sick. And she helped him escape through the window. Now David is running on the loose. He's on the lamb and, and Saul is after him and David is running for his life. And during this entire time, David did not write a letter to Michael and said, hey, thanks for setting me free. He didn't write a letter saying, oh, how I love you. I yearn for you the way that a deer yearns for water. In fact, she got zero love letters from David, which when I, when I talk to females, that's like a big deal. And then Saul re-gifts her to another man in marriage. And her second marriage was beautiful and it was gorgeous. She loved the man and he loved her and took care of her. But when Saul and Jonathan died and, and David was soon to become the new king, he said, hey, um, I actually have a wife who is Saul's daughter and I want her back. And so they sent men and brought her back and her husband followed along from a distance crying and weeping over losing his wife. Michael came back, but she wasn't happy about it. I mean, can you imagine being a fly on the wall? And at this point, I want you to know, David had married two other women. So it wasn't like he's like, hey, you're the love of my life. I want you back. I need you back. I desire to have you back. She's like, I'm just a chess pawn. And because she was just a pawn, when she looked at David, all she could think of is, I don't like you. I despise you. You're not the man that everybody thinks you are. And so now we come to this scene. David is dancing around in his underwear, praising God, worshiping God. And Michael looks down at him and she goes, you're not the man of God everybody thinks you are. I can't believe people put up with your junk. If David would have taken care of his home, if he would have taken care of Michael, we wouldn't have the last part of that scene. In fact, I think this would have happened. Michael would have been down there dancing with David in the streets, worshiping God as well. It's easy for us to look at other people and point at them and say, hey, you're, you're, you're not doing this right. But how easy is it for us to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I need to get right with God. I need God to be the center of my life. So we sing that song, purified. Washing away, wiping away, burning away all of the impurities. There's something about fire that, as a guy, is amazing. I love starting fire. 
Built one in the backyard. I was doing some work in the backyard yesterday. Threw some gasoline on it. It was amazing. But you know what fire does? It burns away, one, the impurities in gold. Two, it burns away the things that we don't want. And so when we say, purify me, God, we're saying, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be used by God. I want to be changed by God. I want God to have complete and utter control of my life. When we create a holy habit, we talk about worship. One, worship is coming together. But two, worship is a lifestyle that says, you know what, I want God in my life. You guys join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, God, and just ask, Lord, that you would pour your spirit over us. God, I pray that we'd be used by you. I pray, God, that our lives would be transformed. Lord, I ask right now, help us become more like you each and every day. We pray this in your holy name.